Check it out, Startup Nation. I know many of you are trying to improve your marketing performance, right? You have your business or your e-commerce store, and you're trying to increase that brand awareness. No worries. I got you. You should listen to the brand new Keep Optimizing podcast. That's optimizing with an S and not a Z. It's a marketing podcast that will provide you with not only the latest tips and advice in the game, but also you will hear from experts in their field when it comes to email marketing, SEO, and more. This is a must-listen-to podcast for my e-commerce entrepreneurs. It's hosted by Chloe Thomas, who is a 15-year marketing expert, best-selling author, and award-winning podcast host. It's already a top 20 marketing podcast in seven countries, so clearly you're going to get amazing value every episode. So as you can see, Style Nation, you're in good hands with my girl CT. So listen and subscribe to the Keep Optimizing podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or anywhere you like to get your favorite podcast. You can also get more information at keepoptimizing.com. The link is there in the show notes. It's time to be about that life, the startup life. Here's your host, Dominic Lawson. All right, Startup Nation, so I hope you're ready to receive some value today. My name is Dominic Lawson, and this is The Startup Life, the show for entrepreneurs and career minded professionals. You know, Startup Nation, as you go forth on your path to entrepreneurship, you're always trying to think about innovative ways to scale, innovative ways to create products. And our guest today knows very much uh, about that journey and about that path. She is an advisor, educator, and contributor to Entrepreneur Magazine. She's an adjunct prof- professor, uh, lecturer, sorry, adjunct prof- lecturer at NYU and a board member at Startup AZ Foundation. She is also the CEO of Coplex, a corporate startup studio that partners with existing corporations to build high growth tech companies in highly regulated industries. She is the one and only Brenda Schmidt. Miss B, how are you? Good. How are you? I am all right. You know what? Let's just kind of hop right into it. If you would, ma'am, just kind of share your origin story of a little bit, if you don't mind. Yeah, I had a, a probably an unusual path into entrepreneurship. I, I got a science degrees. My undergrad was in microbiology. Then right. I got a master's in immunology. But, and I worked for Baxter Healthcare for about 15 years. And mm. honestly, working for a large organization before before, you know, going out and being an entrepreneur was, it was a helpful experience around, um, you know, just quality and process. But uh, back in 2005, I, I just realized I, I wanted to go out and, and I had always been an, an entrepreneur. I was a hand raiser. And gotcha. so, you know, if they wanted somebody to do something, I was raising my hand and it, it provided me with the opportunity to just dabble in a lot of different things while I was at Baxter. But um, they were in the process of laying you know, 5,000 people off. And I raised my hand and I said, please lay me off because I had 18 months of seven. And at the time, I didn't know anything about institutional capital. I, I, I sort of had this forced discipline around, gosh, if I'm going to go out and be an entrepreneur, I better you know, get to profitability in 18 months or I need to go find a job. So started my first company in 2005 and, and bootstrapped that organization and then you know, had, had a variety of experiences in, in that business and, and came up with an idea that I just really felt had market traction. So went out and um, I, I bought the book. Uh, venture capital for dummies because okay. I uh, <laughs> that, that was really helpful and and raised a series a with with um frankly the the first venture capital firm uh, that I spoke with and um and uh yeah so then you know once you get entrepreneurship in your blood it, you 
it's hard to, to, to do anything else. And I, I've been a, a serial entrepreneur uh, ever since. I hear that. I, I love that concept you, you talked about earlier about being a hand raiser. You know, kind of talk about that because I think uh, uh, oftentimes we, we, you know, we get on the path of entrepreneurship or just any, you know, platform that we find ourselves on and we're afraid to ask questions. Kind of talk about that if you don't mind. Yeah, I think one of the hallmarks of being a great entrepreneur is almost this insatiable curiosity and and, right. and wanting to learn new things. And so, you know, whether you're an entrepreneur doing that in your own business or whether you work for a large company, you know, there's a huge opportunity to be an entrepreneur and and create new. You know, it might not be the next greatest high growth tech company, but there's certainly opportunities to do things differently and and more innovatively within existing organizations, whether that's improvement to process or product. But you know, if somebody said, hey, I remember the time someone said, I want someone to lead our, our total quality management program. Uh, and this was you know, way back uh, a long time ago. And I'm like, I'll do that. I didn't know anything about total quality management, but neither did anybody else. You know? So it right. gave me the opportunity to, to, um, to, 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 you know, to level up in that area. And then when my division was going global, um, I said, hey, I, I really like to have Latin America. And they they sent me to language school, and so I think you know just that opportunity to to just continue to be be curious and learn new things is is a I think something that that also has benefited me in, in in becoming an entrepreneur because every day you know you're the chief everything officer and every day you have challenges that you don't know um, and and you have to either seek out help or or learn about to to make you successful. Absolutely, and, and that's why I, I love this life, and I love talking to. Uh, people like you, Brenda, because it, it, you really do have like this blank slate and then you kind of create what that path looks like. We always talk about the path and the journey of entrepreneurship, but the, the I guess the irony of it is that you get to create what that looks like. Uh, you know what I mean? So I'm just always fascinated to hear that. Thank you for sharing that. No, that's that's exactly right. In fact, when I teach uh, college, um, you know, I said, I used to teach undergrad for about four years and I said, mm-hmm. it doesn't really matter, you know, get a degree and, and, and learn how to be a learner and be right. a lifelong learner. But what you graduate in today is, is probably not highly likely to be what you're going to be doing 20 or 30 years from now. So don't stress about it, you know, right. <laughs> just don't, you know, just, just get out there and, and figure it out. And, and I think the key too is, is, is just really following your passion and those passions can change over your lifetime, depending on those experiences. Cause so many entrepreneurs have a, have a, a, a story around, you know, a particular problem or, or event in their life that, that, that motivated them to start whatever business that is. And, and, and those are episodic over your lifetime that can definitely change the, the course and direction of, of that path. So I definitely yeah, completely agree with that um, perspective. Right. For sure. And, and, and I, I love, you know, what you said about, you know, going to college and, and be, kind of become that experienced learner, that insatiable and, and learner, uh, if you will. Uh, you know, and, and I want to mention Startup Nation that, uh, you know, Brenda, you know, has a, a BS in micro, uh, microbiology uh, at the universe, Indiana University, Bloomington and immunology uh, at the University of Wisconsin, uh, Madison, you know, some Big Ten clash in there a little bit, but that's neither here nor there. <laughs> Uh, That's a separate conversation. Absolutely. Absolutely. But, you know, going back to, you know, uh, those different uh, uh, degree fields and stuff like that, what are some of those things that, you know, that you didn't really expect to that you learned in those degree fields that you really didn't expect to use on your path to entrepreneurship, but it have become quite valuable, if that makes sense? 
Yeah, I think the fact that I got early degrees in science made me a little bit of a data geek. Okay, and so, fair enough. You know, and that is really important as you move forward in entrepreneurship around, um, you know, if you have an idea going out and doing that early market validation and, and thinking about it from the perspective of, okay, what are all the assumptions I'm making about this particular idea that I have? And, and you may share it with your mom or your best friend and your dog, and they all love your idea. But, you know, have you actually gone out and asked other people? So, you know, I like the idea of, of ranking, you know, what are all the assumptions I'm making? And then what are those experiments that I can go out and and do to to validate that those assumptions are valid. And I think that that, pers- that sort of scientific method applied to any new business idea has been helpful um, as opposed to, you know, having both a qualitative and quantitative approach to to how I, I look at opportunities, I think has, was rooted in that um, sort of scientific method through those degrees a long time ago. And then, and also just, um, you know, my entire entrepreneurship community, journey has been in healthcare and and understanding uh just those concepts early on through those degrees have been have been helpful for sure for sure thank you uh for sharing that once again starting startup nation we're talking to brenda schmidt the ceo of coplex and if you want to check out coplex we have a link there in the show notes for easy access if you're listening to the replay on the podcast and if you're listening to radio it's coplex c-o-p-l-e-x dot com uh, for sure. So, you know, I, I know you just uh, a matter of a month, you've kind of recently been appointed CEO of Coplex. Kind of talk about that transition and talk about Coplex as a whole, if you don't mind. Yeah. So the last um, organization I founded, Solera Health, um, you know, very, very rapid growth. We raised $72 million in venture capital. Um, but, you know, what I've, I think a lot of part of, of being an entrepreneur is a lot of self-reflection. And what I realize is I'm a builder. I love product market fit, early business design. And I like that zero to 30, zero to 50 million um, growth trajectory. Mm-hmm. I'm not the one that's going to run a business that is, you know, worried about why something costs a dollar 13 and not a dollar 10. Gotcha. And so, um, you know, I'm still the, a, a very large shareholder in Solera. I'm on the board. I'm executive chairman, but I really pivoted to, to this time in my career, how I, how I can actually do this in a more scalable way. So what Coplex does is, takes ideas, takes takes great ideas and turns them into high growth technology companies. And so when I um, assumed the CEO role here in um, April, the company mm-hmm. had built this amazing team and amazing set of assets, but they were really focused in a non-industry, uh, non-specific, let's find a founder and build a business. And when I got here, I was like, wow, there's a massive opportunity for this company. Um, but we need to be pivoted a little bit. So we're now focused on healthcare almost exclusively and insure tech. So that intersection of healthcare and insurance. And we're focused on partnering with large existing companies who have IP and assets and ideas, but you know, because of the innovators dilemma, they can't effectively commercialize those. So we really take the best unfair advantage of a company. They have ideas, capital, uh, subject matter, expertise, and, a distribution channel and partner it with the, the best entrepreneurs and technology and lean methodology to to really create businesses at an arm's length. So I'm, I'm 
pointing at venture as a service. Mm-hmm. So hire us to, to build and commercialize these high growth tech companies that because of misaligned incentives and corporate culture and um, you know bureaucracy are really, really difficult to effectively commercialize within the, the four walls of this ex- existing large company. So um, we've quickly gotten you know quite a bit of traction with large health systems, with pharma, uh, with some insurance companies companies because I think we can really help them um, innovate faster and more effectively than some of the other types of innovation activities they they may have been you know, pouring a lot of money into like R&D and innovation labs and accelerators which you know haven't haven't driven large-scale disruption in healthcare to any great extent. Gotcha. Thank you for sharing. That. So I want to kind of ask a follow up because, you know, they, you know, you, you come in, you come in as CEO and, and they've already had some success. Right. And, you know, and you talk about this pivot and and exploiting that um, uh, that, you know, that opportunity that you just talked about. Talk about coming in uh, as the, the new CEO and kind of selling that proposition to the team because i mean they've already had success you know you kind of got to get over that barrier of you know the new person even though the new person is the ceo but kind of talk about like that process if you don't mind well it was interesting you know not being the founder it was the first time i've been a ceo and not a founder and when you're a founder you're really walking in as the expert and you're you're building it de novo right um this is the first time i walked in and i had to take much more of of a learner approach and not an expert approach and so the first several months i just spent a lot of time with the team and frankly, a lot of time out in the market um, understanding what are people doing in corporate innovation and what are the constraints and what are the opportunities. And I, I think bringing the whole team along and, and socializing the, the learnings that we were all having in the market, I think created the vision and, and excitement around the team for what the opportunity is. And mm-hmm. it wasn't me just coming in and saying, you know, Hey, this is my idea. I'm going to, I'm going to go do this, um, you know, get in line. Right. <laughs> it was, it was really, you know, uh, um, having this really understanding that the, the, the team and the opportunity in the market and, and being really collaborative in that, in that process. Um, I think, I think really, really helped, but you know, any entrepreneurial leader is, is really creating the, declaring the, the vision of where the company can go and getting people really excited about that. And then, making everybody, you know, comfortable that we can actually execute against that plan. Um, and that, that's really, you know, and then I'm here for support and, and making it happen. But, um, you know, the, the team here is just phenomenal. And it was one of the reasons I wanted to join as the corporate culture here is just, just phenomenal. And gotcha. that Trump, Trump uh, you know, culture trumps strategy in, right. in, in, in so many ways. Absolutely. Culture definitely trumps strategy. Thank you. Uh, for sharing that, were there were there any road bumps or you know anything like that uh, with onboarding new clients or even br- coming into uh, the CEO role due to COVID? You know, because I mean it's a kind of a weird time right now. So were there any road, you know, any bumps in the road due to that? Um, you know, there, we we were expecting high, higher growth than we had, but okay. you know, Q two looked like Q one. So you know, our our clients were were corporate clients who had made. Uh, capital decisions to fund their innovation activities, you know, last year. And, you know, while I think we've seen some pullback on uh, spending in that area, I think that the the types of clients that partner with Coplex have, you know, uh, a strategic imperative and a budget and leadership that that at the C-suite that values what we're doing. So we haven't seen, seen that. We've definitely seen an uptick 
more recently for businesses that people would like to to launch and scale gotcha. um, you know, next year. So it didn't it didn't really um, impact us that much. I think the biggest challenge was the origins of Coplex actually started as a as a, a development and design firm, and a lot of studios have those core capabilities, and then say, okay, what else do we need to wrap around these core capabilities to actually build businesses? So business design and growth hacking and things like that. So the biggest challenge I've had is getting out of a time and materials mentality and, and more in a value mentality. So when I walked mm. in, I said, everything here needs another zero. Gotcha. <laughs> so that's the biggest is that is that it's not is really having people value that they bring because of the, the knowledge and the skill set that they have outside of an hourly rate. And so I think that's where um, I think this, this op- the business has such a, a, a big opportunity because corporate clients understand the value that we're bringing much beyond an hourly rate that you may pay to, to build something, gotcha. you know, to, to build a product or something. Gotcha. Gotcha. Thank you for sharing that. And, and, and kind of sticking with, you know, your clients and, and they come on board. What are some of those like biggest, <clears throat> excuse me, some of those biggest hurdles that you have to get those clients to see? Uh, is it, you know, scaling too fast? Is it something else? Kind of share that dynamic between what you guys do with your clients in that regard when they first kind of onboard to the, what you do. Yeah. You know, my biggest surprise in partnering with large corporations is um, I thought they would come up, come to the table with a lot more in-depth market knowledge. And I was incredibly mm. surprised that they didn't, that they were really coming in with an idea that looked very much like any other entrepreneur founder coming in with an idea, but they really didn't, hadn't done a lot of work or market validation of that idea. Gotcha. I think the hardest part about that that was hard for us is honestly how much sort of management and and strategic consulting that we would do outside of just building businesses. So mm. that caused us to need to rethink our our, our payment and, and business model and structure a little bit. But the other piece was the worst client we have is when somebody comes in and says, I want you to build this and takes a product first approach. And what we've learned is that a product first approach rarely can meet its potential for market commercialization. That it you got to back up and convince them, hey, we need to take three or four months and do a lot of market validation and business design. You know whether that's wireframes or high fidelity mockups before we ever write a line of code. Like people want to like sort of rush in and build technology, and I think that's been kind of this look. If we can lean into four or five months of product market fit and unit economics and you know go to market strategy. Um, when we finally launch this thing, you know, it typically takes us nine to 12 months to launch a business. Um, it is going to rapidly scale and, and we know we're going to have product market fit. I think a lot of organizations are, are have this technology or a product and then they're out looking for a problem. And um, I think convincing them to back up and really lean into the early phases. Um, and, and now we're proving that out. And I think that that that's an, an area where we can really add value because we, we see a lot of organizations, especially large organizations, taking much more of this this product product first approach. For sure, uh, and I bet that can be tough. You know, you you, you create this thing and you're just ready to kind of go, 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 and then somebody just comes along and says, uh, "Maybe we need to kind of pump the brakes or kind of back up a little bit." So, <laughs> I, I, I just imagine that's probably a tough conversation. Well, I think when you say, you know, that's part of the process when we're when we're mapping all of this out, Fair you know, enough. who's your client and your customer and then we're saying what are the assumptions that you're making? They're realizing they're and then okay, why why do you believe this? And and then I think they're 
they're quickly realizing that they are making assumptions that aren't validated and they're valuing the opportunity for us to go out there and 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 truly do external you know qualitative and quantitative um, validation so i think that exercise opens their eyes a lot because they're realizing gosh i i am making these assumptions and i and i, and I don't have facts to support them so um and then once you do it once then i the process just becomes um uh, easier because we very much take a portfolio approach with our clients you give us you know, let's figure out all the IP assets and ideas across the company. Um, we'll prioritize them against your fixed and variable criteria and find those that, you know, have merit and let us go out and validate those in the market and then provide suggestions back to you for what to do with those. So some some may actually end up in M&A. Some may just be incremental products or services. And then we'll say these, these three or four um, actually have some viability in terms of being uh, separate C companies. And so we are actually then creating those C companies, placing an operator and a management team and building those out, you know, at an arm's length. Um, so that's typically, and, and we're expecting, okay, we may kill some of these I say kill the good so the great can can go through. Um, some may raise a Series A, and we're saying, okay, if we launch 20 companies with you over five years, we'll probably have a couple really, you know, significant companies that can add enterprise value back to the to the company. All right, Startup Nation. So we're going to go ahead and take a quick break. We got to pay some bills. Once again, my name is Dominic Lawson, and you're listening to the Startup Life. Check it out, Startup Nation. I know many of you are trying to improve your marketing performance, right? You have your business or your e-commerce store, and you're trying to increase that brand awareness. No worries. I got you. You should listen to the brand new Keep Optimizing podcast. That's optimizing with an S and not a Z. It's a marketing podcast that will provide you with not only the latest tips and advice in the game, but also you will hear from experts in their field when it comes to email marketing, SEO, and more. This is a must-listen-to podcast for my e-commerce entrepreneurs. It's hosted by Chloe Thomas, who is a 15-year marketing expert, best-selling author, and award-winning podcast host. It's already a top-20 marketing podcast in seven countries, so clearly you're going to get amazing value every episode. So as you can see, Stoutermation, you're in good hands with my girl, CT. So listen and subscribe to the Keep Optimizing podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or anywhere you like to get your favorite podcast. You can also get more information at keepoptimizing.com. The link is there in the show notes. Oralex powers this episode of the Startup Life. Startup Nation, as a podcaster, radio host, and business owner, I know a thing or two about the need for your message to come through clearly to your target audience. The last thing you want when trying to close a big deal over the phone or giving a sales presentation in your conference room is to have the person you are talking to be distracted by either the fact that you sound like you're in a warehouse or an outside noise like a fire truck. Trust me, Startup Nation. I know this all too well from experience. And that is why Oralex has your back. Oralex Acoustics creates professionally tested products that you can trust in a commercial space or at home. Better office acoustics improves intelligibility when video conferencing or generic conversation reduces stress and helps build a proactive work atmosphere. 
From a home studio from our content creators to your office space downtown, your gear performs better in an acoustically treated room. Trust me, you are in good hands with Oralex as they are the number one brand in acoustics, providing trusted solutions for over 40 years. Also, you can download the Oralex Acoustic Treatment mobile app in the Apple or Google Play Store to give you specifically designed and instantaneous recommendations for various room types. Go to Oralex.com and use the promo code STARTUP in all caps for 10% off your entire order. The link is there in the show notes if you are listening to the replay on the podcast. So if you are ready to stop sounding like you're having a sales meeting in a sports arena, go with Oralex. Professional audio made simple. Tresta powers this episode of The Startup Life. Okay, Startup Nation, I want to talk to you about our sponsor, Tresta. Tresta is an app for iPhone and Android that lets you do business calling and texting from anywhere. I know so many entrepreneurs that are still using their their personal phone number for business calls. It can get complicated drawing the line between your personal and professional life. Startup Nation, this is the best business phone app out there. Whether you just need a business phone number or if your team is ready for a complete business phone system, Tresta is totally flexible and can grow with your business. And it's all unlimited. Calling, texting, and all of the powerful call management features like auto attendance, call recording, user groups, and more for just $15 per user per month. With Tresta, there's no contract and you don't need any special hardware, just your smartphone you're already using. Tresta is easy to configure so you can set everything up yourself, all online avoiding all the hassle and high overhead costs of setting up a traditional business phone system, which is important because as entrepreneurs, we are always trying to cut cost and time. They're often a 30-day free trial so you can see if Tresta's virtual phone system is right for you. Communicate smarter and more efficiently with Tresta. Start now at Tresta.com forward slash startup life. That's T-R-E-S-T-A dot com forward slash startup life. The link is there in the show notes if you're listening on the podcast. Tresta, business communication simplified. All right, Startup Nation, welcome back as we continue our conversation with today's guest here on The Startup Life. Gotcha. Gotcha. Thank you for sharing that. Once again, Startup Nation, we're talking to Brenda Schmidt, the CEO of Coplex. And if you want to, once again, check out that website, we have a link there in the show notes for easy access if you're listening to uh, the replay on the podcast. And Startup Nation, you may or may not know this, but Coplex has launched more than 300 companies with $4.5 billion in market value and raised $1.5 billion in capital. So when we talk about, you know, entrepreneurship, that's one of the biggest things, Brenda, you know, this raising money, getting that capital, getting that cash flow situation uh, into the business. Uh, but I'm curious, you know, and, and I want to get your commentary on this when it comes to seeking out an angel investor or venture capitalist or something like that. What what is that that one to two things that they're really looking for? Is it proof of concept? Is it a nice good pitch deck or idea? Is it the the in the entrepreneur itself? What are those things the, those investors or those venture capitalists are looking for? Yeah, the earliest stages of the business. The reason the team makes makes so much difference in those earliest stages is because that's all they really have to bet on. Right. If you're doing you know pre seed seed even Series A. Um, the, the market traction is is unproven and, and the team becomes more significant. Over time, the team becomes less significant because you're already out there in the in the market. So I'd say it's team. It's definitely total addressable market. You may have a phenomenal idea, but if the if the if venture capital 
firm doesn't feel that you have the opportunity to be a hundred million dollar or greater business, they're not going to be interested because they can't see the financial returns they need to to make that investment worthwhile. So, yeah. I think um, it's it's team and, and total addressable market, and then it's it's product market fit. So yeah, I don't think it's about the deck. I think it's about um, you, know, you can make it all pretty, but if you don't have the basics around and understanding the market and understanding unit economics for how uh, your idea can scale at a at a customer acquisition cost that's that's reasonable. Um, but in those early stages, it's team, and I think that's why entrepreneurs, once they've had um, a, a successful exit or a successful business, it's easier for them to raise capital because that proof point is there. I think it's also why men typically get the bulk head, bulk share of, of venture capital. It's pattern mm, recognition. Gotcha. Oh, these people look like those people. <laughs> those ah. people were successful. So so it's sort of as a self-fulfilling prophecy a little bit around um, just just the, the pattern recognition around teams that have been successful and wanting to invest dollars in, in teams that, that look like they could replicate that success. Gotcha. You know, when you talk about teams, I, I think that's like a very important, you know, uh, part of, of building a successful company is the team uh, that's around you. You know, so if you know, what, what's a prototypical team look like? Is it like the dreamer, the guy who's good with numbers, the person who's great with the product, the person who's great at sales? What does a great team in the entrepreneurial uh, journey look like to you, Brenda? Yeah, I think it's about matching skill sets. And okay. I, I think about an entrepreneurial team, there's really four areas. There's the idea person, the technology person, mm. the, the the sales and marketing person, and the operations person. And so, you know, a lot of times I'll have people list out, okay, if you had a hundred points, how would you rate your skill set across those those four points? And if you're if it's zero for technology, then find someone on your team that is aligned with the mission that that fills that gap. So I think it's more of a holistic approach to making sure that you've got those four areas covered. That doesn't mean you need a co-founder in those areas. It just means that you need a strong team that as especially as you start scaling early on, um, that fills those buckets. And and those could be fractional you know, CTO, it could be, um, you know, an advisor or a mentor at early stages, but those are sort of the four areas that people have to be pretty self-aware of around their personal skill set and where they can add the most value and then find people that can do their jobs better than you in those areas where you're not as strong. Gotcha. Gotcha. Thank you uh, for sharing that. And, and I think a, a, a great team, a strong team, especially given everything that's going on uh, with COVID and stuff like that, is it, super important. So I, I want to kind of ask and transition uh, to this and ask you this, you know, because we're seeing a lot of, you know, one in five small businesses are now gone, uh, depending on who you listen to and what estimates or whatever the case may be. What in in your, you know, in, in your commentary, what do you think uh, when it comes to a a business that survives a, a, a catastrophe like COVID-19, what's the, that differentiator between the ones that make it and the ones that don't when crisis arise? Yeah, I think it's, it's, it's grit and mm, it's determination. Gotcha. And it's like, we're going to survive at any cost. And so the, the successful businesses that I saw early, early on, um, they were willing to make some hard decisions around cost cutting. Right. Um, they were looking for opportunities where they could pivot their business models to meet some of the challenges for their clients that that were impacted by COVID. Um, it was it was getting creative around financing. So I, I think it's like kind of hunkering down and 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 not hiding. But but that grit. I, I remember I was a CEO 
you know, founder and CEO of a previous business during the 2008 right. crisis. And right. I remember, you know, getting eight people around the table and, um, and saying, look, we're going to work 80 hours and get paid for 32. So people were taking like a, a 20% pay cut on a regular 40 hour work week. I said, or, or someone's going home today. Like, like, what do you want to do? You know? And so I think that, um, you know, just continuing to over communicate internally and, um, and then finding opportunities to save the business externally, right. I think, um, you know, is, in, in, is, is just critical in times of, of crisis. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, you, you talked about those cost cutting measures and, and let's be honest, one of the biggest cost cutting measures that people have been taking, uh, you know, uh, during this time is, you know, human capital. And, and letting people go uh, and, you know, and, and it's like, you don't want to, but you know, there's some pis- business where that's just a reality. So I, I guess I want to ask you this, you know, when it gets to that point and, and you've, you've exhausted everything that you possibly do. And you just got to the point where you have to let somebody go, let somebody go because of a crisis. What does that conversation sound like? Kind of walk us through that uh, in, in, in your commentary, if you don't mind. Yeah. I mean, I'm definitely, I've definitely laid, people off over my, over my career. And there's, right. there's different, you know, there's, there's sort of three different buckets. There's the performance conversation and that's frankly the easiest conversation. Of course. Um, sometimes it's just, there's this, the wrong seats on the bus. It's mm. um, that, that the, as the, an organization evolves and pivots over time that a certain skill set uh, that somebody had in the organization just isn't, isn't needed anymore. But I think in terms of, of the, the, the COVID crisis and, and the impact of, that people had in their, in their employees after that, it was more around, um, you know, I hate to do this. You are super, super valuable. Um, but my responsibility as the CEO is the fiduciary responsibility for everyone's livelihood and keeping this company alive right. to, to be able to make the impact that we think it can make. And unfortunately, that means, you know, impacting your job. And so it's a really hard conversation, but it's never personal. And so I always try to almost take this third person approach to some of those decisions around, hey, if somebody else came in here and didn't have any personal relationships, what decisions would they make? Because I think sometimes we actually wait too long to make some critical decisions because those are strong personal relationships. And it is hard to have that sort of emotional firewall of just thinking about things very objectively. But I think that's one of the, you know, the key things that the, that a, that a good CEO needs to do. For sure. You know, it's, it's definitely heartbreaking from time to time, especially given, you know, everything, uh, and going on, but you're absolutely right though. You know, you say like as the CEO, you have a fiduciary responsibility, uh, to make those calls. And so, uh, while it's hard, you, you just got to do it. You know, there's no way around it. So I appreciate your commentary and your advice and insight on that for sure. Cause I know a lot of people are kind of, they're, they're at that point and, and, and it's really hard. So. Yeah. Yeah, it is. I mean, especially when you're a, an entrepreneur and you, you build your build the company, you've probably hired that, that know the people on the team and you've all worked really hard together and celebrated together and grieved together. Those, right. those are very strong personal bonds and it is hard to make those those decisions after that. But it's not a family. You know, it's not. Right. No, it's, it's, true. it's Yeah, but it is hard sometimes to separate out those those relationships. For sure. For sure. You know, I, I wanted to ask you uh, this because, you know, and, and maybe you've experienced this or, and seen it from, you know, uh, from the sidelines or something. I'm not sure. But, you know, I, I was looking at an article today and, and talking about things to consider when passing on 
like a family owned business to the next generation. You know, st- uh, statistics statistics uh, often show us uh, that, you know, with every generation that gets passed down, the likelihood of success, you know, kind of goes down drastically. So I- I'm curious about, you know, your commentary on that. Like, you know, what is some of that advice you know, or, or anything that you've seen uh, in your entrepreneurial career that can kind of help with that, you know, uh, things to consider and stuff like that? Yeah. I mean, I don't have really direct experience, right. um, but I think, you know, part of it is, you know, don't make the assumption that one of your kids necessarily wants to run the business. Fair so that's enough. probably yeah, that set that set that expectation. But I do think that this whole conversation around succession planning, regardless of where you are in the, in the, in the life cycle of that business, it's always important to think about whether that is a tragedy that may happen at the, mm. at the C-suite or whether that's a, Hey, I want to retire in 10 years or whether that's a, um, Hey, my, my kid is at a, a certain point in their life and I'd like to, to, to mentor them. But I, I do think that while I don't have any direct experience, I certainly I've, I've been in some, some CEO peer groups where that has been more of a topic of conversation where I think it's, it, it kind of falls into that broader bucket around, um, you know, succession planning and just make sure there's a plan there really, um, understanding what's going to happen uh, to that business over time and, and, and what should happen. Gotcha. Gotcha. But, but I do imagine with some of your clients that are complex that you have the conversation about maybe, you know, exiting and stuff like that with founders, correct? Yeah, exiting. And, and honestly, you know, part of it is uh, the, the kind of a hard conversation or do you think you're the right CEO? Fair enough. Because a lot of folks, you know, you talked about a you know, technology founder or a research founder and they may have a, a great idea, a great technology, and they are not going to be the best CEO for that business. And I so it goes back to that sort of being, you know, intellectually you know, or honest with yourself around right. what your real skill set is. So, and I think the founders that may start a business and be successful in those super early stages also have to be aware of, you know, are at what stage are are they not the best CEO for that business? And so, I do think that, you know, to your point, as as those businesses evolve, um, for so many entrepreneurs, it's very hard to differentiate their own. Um, persona or their identity from the identity of the business. And that's, I think, what makes that separation really hard is you're not the business. Uh, The business is a separate entity. And so um, I think as those, whether it's contemplating a business failure or a business sale or a CEO transition, I think it's really important to make sure that you are emotionally separated from that business so that you can make those decisions a little bit more, um, you know, objectively. For sure. For sure. One more COVID question. I promise we'll, 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 we'll transition, uh, to something else. Cause I I wanted to ask you something, uh, you, on July 12th, you retweeted something about Dr. Fauci saying, you know, it's basically like a gift that says, listen to Fauci and stuff like that, you know, and with your background in microbiology and immunology, kind of give your commentary on what you're seeing right now as we kind of deal with this, uh, this pandemic in your mind. Yeah, you know, I, I'm I'm a big believer in following the science. Right. Um, and I think that it's been really difficult for I think the general American public to potentially differentiate fact from fiction as it comes to the science because they're getting a lot of different information from from different sources. Right. And I, and I think I think that's been really hard. But I know here, um, 
in in March, I was in the president role, and we set strict criteria for when we would work from home. So gotcha. that's what I was trying to do is like, okay, how do how are we going to react as an organization? And so we we set the criteria that if the state declared an emergency or the public universities closed, we would work from home. And then we we created a set of policies associated with that. And that was back in probably early, you know, might be February. Right. And then when that happened, we're like, okay, we're implementing the plan. <laughs> And so, you know, we're, we're still not back to work. And, but I do think, you know, following the guidelines around, you know, there's a couple of us here and we're masked and, you know, doused in hand sanitizer. But <laughs> right. I do think that um, depending on your risk level, the, the science is dictating, I think, our activity. And I think, I think part of it, though, is we're just all tired of it. Right. And I think that's where people who don't feel maybe that they're as at risk as others are, are loosening their compliance with those, those scientific guidelines just because of you know, fatigue. We kind of all want our, want our own lives back. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. I'm sorry. Were you about to say something else? I didn't mean to cut you. No, no, no. Oh, okay. No, go ahead. No, I, I definitely understand that. You know, I, I think we are kind of, you know, like a little, you know, uh, tired of uh, this stupid COVID. This year has been one, definitely one for the history books for sure. I mean, you know, I mean, <laughs> yeah, all we have hornets, you know, whatever, you know, we've got the, I, I just the whole year, you know, is just almost one big meme of, of right. all the things that have just happened this year. And so I think we're all just anxious for 2021 and the promise that things can get, can get a little bit back to normal. For sure. I, I was telling my wife the other day, you know, I, I was, I was okay, but when I saw fire tornadoes, I was done. I was done <laughs> with 2020. Uh, yeah yeah and i I think for just us personally you know we you know you just sort of slowly expand your bubble um in terms of just having some kind of social social contact that that is meaningful and then what's nice about us here now in arizona is we're just starting to get to the to the nice part of the year where we can spend more time outside for us over the summer was what was difficult because that's the time when we're all hunkered down inside in air conditioning so i'm looking forward to looking forward to enjoying enjoying being outside more too absolutely absolutely thank you for sharing all of that for sure once again startup nation we're actually wrapping up with brenda schmidt uh the ceo of uh coplex and once again if you want to check out uh the website and the things that they're doing there go to coplex.com we have a link there in the show notes for easy access if you're listening to the replay on uh, the podcast and speaking of uh arizona we talked about earlier the top of the show that uh you sit on the board of of startup az foundation kind of talk about the the startup culture and the entrepreneurial culture there in phoenix and greater arizona yeah i mean i i feel like we have all of the ingredients in arizona you know the university there's capital there's these really strong support from um, that the state and the you know the economic development community and it, it just needs to get pulled together and I think that's starting to happen because we should be you know an Austin or, or a Nashville or you know and we see Salt Lake kind of you know emerging as a as an Absolutely. innovation hub and so uh, you know I just feel like you know at this stage in my career really trying to give back and in supporting that as much as I can as being part of organizations like, you know, the Startup AZ Foundation and the board on the on the bio, Arizona Bio Industry Foundation that are really looking for how we can um, coordinate and support young entrepreneurs and, and, and 
give them some capital to, and, and honestly mentorship and support. So Startup AZ Foundation takes uh, a group of young entrepreneurs called a collective and mm-hmm. they spend 12 months together and really hold each other accountable, share, you know, personal and business, um, you know, triumphs and, and tribulations. But I think, you know, creating that infrastructure that what we're hoping is that we have enough successful um startups and exits in Phoenix and in Arizona in general, that, that it just can have that generosity flywheel, right? We exit, we give back, we start investing in new entrepreneurs, and then all of a sudden there becomes this um, high-growth tech innovation ecosystem that's fueled by successful entrepreneurs and are, are starting to create an environment where we have, um, you know, some of the best entrepreneurs and, and technology in the world that we can then, you know, in, put into you know, new operators and new companies. So I just enjoy being part of that, that ecosystem as we're growing that here in, in Arizona. Gotcha. Gotcha. Thank you for sharing it. You know, let me ask a follow-up because, you know, I, I you, you talked about Austin, you talk about the growing, uh, you know, space there in, in Salt Lake City and I'm in Memphis, Tennessee. So I'm very familiar with what's going on. Uh, in, in Nashville, what do you think they're doing right when it comes to the startup culture uh, there in those places or anywhere else for that matter? Yeah, I think part of the limitation that we've had here in Arizona is when people invest, they invest in real estate. Mm. They don't invest in young entrepreneurs. It's gotcha. just not we don't have that that culture. And so I think part of it has been able just really trying to socialize um, the opportunity for, um, you know, not only liquidity, but enterprise value by um, you know, investing in some of these young startups. But I do think it's the Nashville has a, a tremendous um, mentor leader, you know, history of, of supporting that community, which I, I think we're, we're all trying to, to follow on and, and replicate. For sure. For sure. Thank you uh, for sharing that. I, I want to ask you this, you know, if, if you could talk to any person from from history, you know, living or not, uh, and, and just kind of pick their brain for like an hour, who would that be and why? And what would you ask them? Oh, wow. That's uh, an unexpected question. Um, you know who I wish I, I would have talked to is like Nelson Mandela. Okay. I just felt like, um, you know, I, I like to talk with people who are genuinely and authentically trying to make an impact right. and not necessarily in business, but I feel like one of the uh, opportunities and frankly obligations that entrepreneurs and large businesses have is trying to make a, a, a social impact mm. on individuals, families, and communities. And and I think that um, that's something that I, I just am really passionate about and, and would love to have had the opportunity to sit down and, and, and talk about that with him. For sure. You know, you, you was talking about grit earlier and if there's ever somebody who knows something about <laughs> grit, it's Nelson Mandela. Uh, for sure. Yeah. But yeah. I want to ask yeah. a follow up from that, because, you know, we're seeing like the, this new generation of entrepreneurs like the Gen Z and the and the younger millennials kind of have this altruistic capitalism approach where they, they have like this social aspect uh, to their companies. Kind of talk about that a little bit. I imagine that's something that you're definitely glad you're seeing. Absolutely. I mean, I think very much it's around um, doing well by doing good Mm. and always having that social impact. You know, and I also think it plays into the grit. If you're just out there as an entrepreneur because you want to make a bunch of 
make a bunch of money. Is that really what's inspiring you to get up in the morning as right. opposed to a mission that says, I'm getting up today and I'm going to, you know, it's hard to be an entrepreneur, but when you get up and you're like, ah, it's really hard that that the opportunity to make an, a meaningful impact in people's lives, especially in the healthcare ecosystem where I've spent my career, um, is 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 actually what drives you. The the money tends to be you know a secondary opportunity, but I think it's because people realize that um, startups and, and and early stage businesses, you can see the direct impact from your efforts every day, right. and you can actually make a, a much better impact, I think, than some large corporations who the, are, are really there uh, aligned around just maintaining the status quo and meeting their quarterly financial targets. And so I, I'm thrilled to see that lens on social impact and, and honestly, the emergence of more and more social impact investors that are investing in, in young entrepreneurs, specifically because their their idea has an impact, whether that's, um, you know, the climate, certainly there's a lot of um, attention now on ed tech and education and Absolutely. healthcare and um, all of the, you know, employment and, 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 you know, work looks different now. And there's certainly an opportunity for, for impact there as well. Absolutely. It's, it's funny you mentioned ed tech. That's something uh, the parent company for the show we're working on now. We were at, we actually had applied for an ed tech grant with the Department of Education. Uh, and, uh, you know, but due to, you know, this was around March. So due to COVID, you know, that kind of went away, uh, and stuff like that. But no, I definitely understand, uh, what you're talking about there because we're, we're seeing it all over the place where there, you know, and it seems like the consumers are kind of driving it where, you know, it's like people want to see that not only are you selling me a great product, but like, we want to know what you're doing for planet earth, whether it be through, you know, uh, climate change, whether it be through social justice or wherever the case may be. So it's, mm -hmm. it's quite mm -hmm. interesting to see. Yeah, I totally agree. I always think, you know, Tom's wouldn't be a company in Tom's shoes if they hadn't had the, the, the impact and the mission. They said, if you buy a pair of shoes, I'm going to give someone a pair of shoes. They're not particularly special shoes. You know? right. <laughs> At least they weren't when they, you know, when they came out. So I, I definitely think it, all things being equal, a company and that has a product with a social mission versus one that doesn't, that the one with the social mission is going to have greater, greater consumer engagement. It definitely seems that way. Definitely seems that way. Thank you for uh, sharing that. And before I ask the last question, Brenda, I just want to say thank you so much for coming on the show. You gave amazing insight uh, uh, to your path of entrepreneurship and, and what you do. And once again, Startup Nation, that's, that website is Coplex, C-O-P-L-E-X.com. We have a link there in the show notes for easy access if you're listening to the replay on uh, the podcast. But now, Brenda, I'm actually going to turn the microphone over to you because given everything that's going on, uh, we could definitely use some words of encouragement. If you would, ma'am, just kind of share uh, some words of encouragement to take us out for today, if you don't mind. Yeah, I would just say for, for any of you out there who are entrepreneurs, you know, congratulations and keep on going. And for those of you who are considering entrepreneurship, it's probably one of the most rewarding things that that you'll do in your life. And, and just, you know, visualize the the world you the business you want to create and just go out there and make it happen all right awesome stuff and that's going to wrap up this session of the startup life we want to once again thank brenda smith for coming on so thank you so much for coming on thanks so much dominic no worries and as always startup nation if you have an idea be about that life the startup life if you want to let us know what you think about our show have an idea for a show topic or would like to advertise on our show send us a message on the startup life podcast facebook page and while you are there like and follow our page as well it's a great way for us to engage with you startup nation and really grow our community the link is there in the show notes subscribe to the show as it can be heard on apple Podcasts, google play 
Stitcher Radio, Spotify, or even on your Facebook timeline or any other platform you like to get your podcast. If you are listening on Apple Podcasts and you find our content valuable, please give us a five-star rating as it will help us climb the charts and help more people find our show. You can also listen to the show on the Startup Life Podcast new website. There you will find the all-new Startup Blog where I write on many topics that are interesting and helpful to you on your path to entrepreneurship. And hey, if you have an idea, be about that life, the startup life.